0: Hey, what's up, guys? This is Jordan Peele. I'm the writer-director of Get Out. And this is uh, a a surreal honor to be doing the uh, director's commentary on the uh, DVD Blu-ray. There's many spoilers here, so obviously, this shouldn't be the first (laughs) way you're experiencing the the movie. And uh, it's a movie that has uh, many layers to it, so yeah, I'm going to try and do my best commentary possible, give you as as much of the breakdown of what I was thinking uh as possible, but uh there there uh I won't be able to catch all of it. I won't be able to get all of it in one sitting. So uh here goes. Okay. So this first scene, you know, I kind of started with this idea of Halloween, right? Subverting the idea of the 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 perfect white suburb. And um, in a moment here, Lakeith Stanfield, who plays the character Andre, will enter. He is talking on the phone to his girl, who um, has somehow, she's having a party or meeting a friend, and somehow he got drawn out into this white suburb, and he's totally out of his element. A sort of hidden question you might ask yourself is: Is the girl he's talking to Rose? Is she part of this uh, trap? Uh, A couple moments ago, Andre uh, had—you know—he said "suburb." He said he used like the sort of stereotypical uh, white voice, and that, of course, is a foreshadowing to uh, when he actually has a white voice later on. What was that? Peacock little shining shout-out with the Hedge Maze line there. So this is the the Porsche that uh, I sort of wanted this Porsche to be like Jaws. Like, you know, it has this music coming from it. It has this menace. um, And uh, also pulling from uh, the movie Christine a little bit with just the the mask that is a car. Also, Duel, uh, Steven Spielberg's first film. Okay. not today not me you know. right here Andre makes the right decision any self-respecting black man knows you just start walking the other way if you're being followed by a car and uh, the fir- one of the first little reveals here now if you notice Jeremy is wearing a black uh, Templar helmet you only get to see it for a second uh, but that is uh, in reference to uh, this, this secret society he's a part of, uh, which, um, you know, I've got a whole mythology and lore about how they are descended from the original Knights Templar, and uh, I'll talk about a little bit more about that later, that uh, this operation that they've perfected is a way of channeling the Holy Grail's original power of immortality. Talk about Michael Abels and his uh, amazing score for a second. First of all, you can you, you notice the uh, the uh, the credits are in that light blue, like The Shining. I totally ganked that, but it also foreshadows uh, the the font that is used in the Coagula video you'll see later. But Michael Abels was a first-time film composer who is a uh, classical composer, he's versed in jazz, tr- uh, tribal, just about every kind of music uh, you, you could want. I, I chose him because I, I really wanted this, the soundtrack here and the score to s- have this new, different sound, something we've never heard before. Um, I, I sort of described it to him as like, if you can give me black voices in a, with a sinister sound that's not voodoo, Um, Maybe something that almost sounds like a a disembodied or satanic Negro spiritual. And so he rose to the challenge. Okay, so this is the the Childish Gambino song, Redbone. It's an amazing track. It's talking about Stay Woke, uh, which I, I needed the whole audience to understand that the lead character, Chris, who we see as an urban photographer, um, is woke. He's not an idiot. He, he, he's alert. He's, he's gonna be making the right decisions um, <laughs> to, to an extent. This song fit perfectly and was originally meant to be scored, but the score uh, just ended up feeling so heavy and, and it didn't bring us this sort of chill groove. The first time we see Chris, he's putting white on his face. Um, this is foreshadowing, of course, uh, the nature of the operation. Uh, mirrors and uh, glass are also a big motif in this movie, so um, you will you'll, you can look for any time there's a reflection or somebody can see through the glass or that, so. Yeah, of course, he cuts himself shaving, another kind of motif uh, foreshadowing of the danger he's in. Of course, when we meet Rose for the first time, you see that little smile, which means something different the second time you watch it. You realize her smile when she's selecting these sweets is uh, the same sinister smile we see uh, in in the pictures towards the end. Um, So there was originally a little bit of dialogue here, but wasn't needed. And here we are. So, we shot this in uh, Mobile, Alabama. It's, it's meant to feel uh, like Brooklyn um, without being too specific. Sure. your toothbrush. Chick. Sure. Do you have this your- scene? It was very important for me to shoot this handheld, first of all, because um, I feel like there's something ha- handheld can achieve many things. One of them is a sort of romantic feeling, like we're almost in this relationship with them. Uh, in the room with them in this intimate scene. Um, and then the, the way Allison Williams and Daniel Kaluuya um, play this scene is just so pitch perfect. Um, they came in uh, when they first met and we were discussing how these characters interact uh, and, and why they're together, why we have to root for this um, relationship. The, 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 um, the sense of humor seemed to be the thing that I, I, I think any audience um, can relate to as a, a, as a, something that will draw these two people together. Um, so, uh, you know, they're flirty, and they're funny, and they obviously share this sense of humor and this sort of natural chemistry. You know, I don't want to get chased off the lawn with a shotgun. Okay, so of course, uh, I don't want to be chased off the lawn with a shotgun is a line that comes back later when uh, Rose literally is uh, has a rifle in in her front door and is chasing him off the lawn. Definitely fucking suck, (laughs) but that's because he's a lame dad more than anything else. So this was uh, just an interesting point in the script writing to make Rose woke enough that she knows her dad might be sort of racially clumsy. Um, This is, you know. Hiding the Rose reveal, you know, turned out to be the, that, that is the toughest part of this whole movie because she's bringing him there. It's it's almost a, a feat I, I doubted I could ever really pull off. And, uh, uh, but, you know, to do that, Alison Williams, uh, she just did such an amazing job of isolating the mentality of the Rose character uh, from the, the bad version who we called Ro-Ro. Um, so when she's when she's acting in these scenes, I believe she's she's not even thinking about Ro Ro or the bad part. the 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 character is uh, as good an actor as, as she is. Is the whole idea. So here's Rod. We this was the f- actually the Rod's side of this was the very first thing we shot. Um, we shot this in uh, in Los Angeles at um at a, a cruise ship terminal actually. Um, So that's the very first uh, scene I ever shot as a director. He's got, he's got IBS. And uh, you know Rod's character, Little Rel Howry. I mean, as you know, he comes in. He just slays this entire film. Uh, He's meant to give the audience um, a little bit of a release valve, but at the same time, ground further ground the entire project. So you know, even here, where. uh, you know, we we're sort of setting up that he's he's kind of a he's suspicious of people. He's kind of a conspiracy theorist, but uh, most importantly, he's he he knows he makes Chris laugh, and that's kind of his job. He he's gonna try and crack his friend his friend up. Some of his theories, he kind of you know, I don't think he kind of fully believes the theories he comes up with all the time. Part it's it's, it's very much to make Chris laugh. It's and of course the uh, Rose and Rod's uh, connection is also uh, comes back later. So that we did that deer with uh, VFX and uh, it was uh, you know we, we, we took a little monofilament pulled that tree uh, so it moved practically and then you know using as sparing VFX as we could we we sold the idea that this thing hits and we kind of can't make it out. Here we go. So Fuck. I probably, it probably would have had a more better effect if I didn't have a red car for the blood to uh, splatter on. But, you know, that's, uh, I think the red car still is so graphic that it's OK. You know, here in the in the theater, you know, you can already hear uh, people start to be like, come on, where, where are you going? No, no, no. Why are you going out there? Why are you going out there? So I wanted I wanted Chris to be, you know, the 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 guy in a horror movie that makes the right decisions or if he didn't make the right decision like right here he should just get in the car and go. There's no need to fuck with a <laughs> anything in the forest. But emotionally, we'll later understand that this is a hitting him on a deeper level and I don't think he quite even understands it yet. Um, that's the shot of him crossing the threshold from the, the city into the country, um, the, and the wild, uh, you know, part of this, uh, the theme of this story is that Chris has built these constructs around his own soul and his own feelings of guilt and, and, uh, his, his primal nature. Um, the city is a, is a sort of, and concrete is a sort of symbol for that construct that, uh, is being broken down in this movie, and uh, this little inciting incident sort of plants the breakthrough he's going to have later. Up there for the weekend. Mm. There later. Sir, can I see your license, please? You don't see it in this uh, uh, cut, but the 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 idea here in the script was that Chris, um, not wanting to leave something dying by the side of the road, calls the takes it upon himself to call the cops. Rose would not have called the cops because, of course, she does not want the cops involved. And uh, this little stint where she's uh, defending her man and uh, sort of winning over the audience as a protector, when you watch it the second time, you might realize that, oh, she's actually keeping the ID from this cop um, because she doesn't want any record of Chris and where he's going and all that. So that's just one of her little perfect, brilliant, sociopathic uh, moves here. is like, you know, this, this is part of this, this story with the Rose character, forgetting about what she actually is. But we, we realized part of the story is about her getting woke. Um, basically, the, you know, racism and race is something that black people, certainly this character Chris has dealt with his entire life. Um, but uh, up until now, Rose has not been aware of racism in the same way. Here's um, Walter, uh, played by Marcus Henderson, uh, brilliantly. I wanted to um, deny the audience the chance to really get a good shot at him because I thought it would just uh, the mystery would play well with the the awkwardness of realizing, oh shit, they got black help here. This is this is just uncomfortable. This scene too, we you know we shot the you know the the interactions here for the uh, in closer coverage just to be safe uh, which you know ended up being a a first-timers mistake because this is always the way i wanted to cover the shot in the wide i just i just doubted myself enough that i thought well i better get coverage so you know basically that's a a third of a day or a a third of a day i I blew getting coverage i would never use um out of this uh tight 23 day shoot but I learned that lesson and now uh, I, I'll trust my instincts. So, how drive in? It was fine. We actually This shot here, I almost got cut. Um, it was one of these sort of stylistic shots that felt like it may be style over substance. Um, but then when I lost it, I just realized, you know what, it feels right. I think partially because we're delaying seeing the the uh, Dean and Missy's faces, which the audience wants to see, and they're kind of pulled in, and it also sort of uh, suggests some kind of stalker cam, like somebody else is in the house or some kind of uh, spirit. Um, okay, so um, Bradley Whitford, Catherine Keener, um, two of the greats. They are sort of liberal elite god and goddess. Um, I wanted them to be the just the perfect family to come and get relief. Okay, great. These people are not racist. And um, you know, sure Bradley uh uses words like fang or my man often and and kind of uh, you know, he has these little microaggressions that pop up, but you know, as any um black person who's been in any kind of similar situation like this knows is that's that's actually that's actually a that's actually good news. You know, you know, the uh, ra- racism and prejudice comes in such uh um, more uncomfortable sinister forms that somebody who's just kind of harmlessly <laughs> a little ignorant here is uh is a victory. Um, so here here goes the tour. This you know, this tour scene was very much based off of you know, another one of these things based off of my love of the shining um and the uh uh, the, the sort of importance of just the, the, the initial sequences of discovering the geography of the overlook. Um, it just helps with tension. It helps with the, the terror, and you're sort of imagining, okay, what's going to happen here? What's what's going to happen here? What's what context are we going to see this house in later? It's such a privilege to be able to experience another person's culture. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Oh, you're you're gonna love this. You know Brad Whitford, of course, just such a commanding this scene. He just he just totally got it. You know, I think in the original script the character was more of a like a, a bear hug of a man, um, sort of you know just a bigger barrel chested sort of hearty guy. And when you know I finally landed on Brad, um, we we developed it into this sort of more relatable friend, uh, best friends, father figure. Some black mold down there. My mother loved her kid- The black mold down in the basement, foreshadowing, and okay, so much is going on. I'm just trying to keep up here. Um, so, that shot uh, where we reveal Georgina for the first time is basically, you know, seeing the, the, the shining twins down the hallway, or when we first meet Hannibal Lecter, um, just the whole vibe of coming up on somebody waiting for you patiently. Um, is 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 creepy, <laughs> so I use that. Um, and then, of course, the, there's you know there's the whole Jesse Owens. Uh, you know, his uh, Dean's father was uh, beaten the qualifying round for the Berlin Olympics by Jesse Owens. Um, as we find out later, that's Walter, who is actually is Dean's father. And um, you know, within that, we find a sort of a um, motive for the, you know, why the family has it in for black people, so to speak. Is back in the day, um, a Roman Armitage was physically beat by uh, a black man on the world stage, and he never got over it. Um, he became obsessed with this idea that um, black people have uh, more God-given advantages. Um, and that uh, combined with the, with the mo- white man's determination, um, you could make the perfect being my uh, Obviously very important to me for this uh, movie to uh, uh, poke fun at the, uh, the liberal elite and not the sort of more typically uh, uh, stereotypically racist uh, red state crowd. Um, and then this scene was tough. We had, like, planes going by. There's a, a, an Air Force base uh, pretty close. So we had planes going through with this entire scene, and the whole audio team had to really dig it out. Um, here, Catherine, who uh, is doing an amazing acting job and looks beautiful, begins to plant this the uh, d- device she's later going to use in hypnosis by... Uh, Connecting Chris's uh, story about anecdote about his mother to this, uh, the clinking the the tea. You have Missy, take care of that for you. So this is all carefully planned dynamic from from this uh, family. You know, I've uh, the whole lore of this movie sort of goes that um, Rose and 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 Jeremy were were basically raised to do this uh, purpose. From a young age, they were groomed into these wranglers, so to speak. So every step here is very calculated. You know, Missy is the master of the the plan of how to get them there um, and how to maintain the illusion. She just, uh, she understands psychology. Of course, Dean is the the master of the science of the operation. Rose's grandfather's party. My dad would throw a shindig yeah. uh, once a year. All right, so you know, Georgina, you know, very much based on this sort of Stepford Wives idea. You know, I often describe the movie as like Stepford Wives meets The Help, uh, because there's this um, interesting and uncomfortable dynamic uh, sometimes when um, you, when when uh, you you interact with or you know someone in Chris's situation would interact with. Uh, someone in a service position like this, and not know if he should, um, you know, essentially uh, help a sister out somehow, or if that boundary should be kept. It's 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 just an interesting dynamic, and um, uh, you know, a, a way to put Chris in an uncomfortable situation that later has sort of different implications. This little interaction between Missy and Georgina, by the way, is meant to be on the second viewing a, uh, just a a wife and a mother-in-law interaction. So just kind of annoyed. And it's like the mother-in-law is not the greatest at uh, keeping the secret. So Missy sort of excuses her passively, aggressively. Uh, I'm sure they hate each other. (laughs) Caleb Landry Jones is an amazing actor as well. His performance is just so riveting. And uh, I can't stress enough how many times, you know, he did this scene completely different, but equally uh, menacing and fascinating. He's just really interesting guy to watch and really passionate, passionate actor. Where, where are your manners? Our guest wants to hear the stories, please. So this, you know, we, we, we wanted to put them in the uh, the sort of Slightly uncomfortable, but relatable scene of you know when when somebody brings somebody else into a family or a new situation, it, re- it really becomes about like airing the the, the, the person's dirty laundry um, and, and sort of connecting on <laughs> how much we can sort of expose rose and this felt this just felt very real to me I'm upstairs, hooking up with the hottest Girl in class, chain oh. Dealing, oh, right? god. You realize you're coming off as like the world's biggest douchebag right now, right? So kind of starts- So yeah, just trying to keep this family feeling as real as possible. And you know, I think Jeremy's character here is is menacing. Um and because he's he's sort of flirting with the lines of the the uh the whole uh, ruse here I, I think he's probably the w- member of the family that actually has had the most rebellious stage uh, against the whole grooming and everything and you know, the way he was raised i think something in him knew it wasn't right but he was uh, turned into a monster now uh now we see him sort of in front of his parents uh, and not in front of his mother because now she's gone but um, pushing a little bit further, um, because he can. Um, you'll notice he's he's the one character that when the reveal about the family's intentions comes, he's the same guy. Um, everybody else sort of changes their characters a little bit, but he is being himself. He's, he's actually not very good at um, lying or uh, withholding his rage, which is why his wrangling method is not to uh, seduce, but uh, to uh, grab off the street. <laughs> I did judo after school, first grade. Oh, you should have seen me. Judo. judo I love that. <laughs> he does that line, and he's just—it's he, so scary. Even the way he's moving here is just so freaky to me. It's like he, like he's imagining riding this guy. Um, I, I, I think Jeremy, you know, is. is secretly wants Chris's body. Like, he's he's into this idea that uh, he might be able to get that body and become better at jujitsu. Ju- of course, he won't get it. Oh, a whole bunch of nothing. He's talking about sports. <laughs> hey. yeah. yeah. it's, it's good. So so you think about jujitsu. Just so condescending, <laughs> but... Um, So, you know, I don't know how he manages to sort of be strangely charming in this scene, (laughs) but um, he's so uh, fucking hateable. And at the same time, I'm like, this guy's just so crazy. I can't even, I can't even deal with him. I mean Daniel, I could talk all day about how amazing Daniel is you know very, at some point we realize you know he doesn't Daniel Chris doesn't have very many lines in this um, and it's true that's not you know his role is to just kind of get out of here without the shit hitting the fan um, you know even even in these scenes here, I think he's just trying to minimize the awkwardness and make it through the weekend and get out um. So uh that's why, you know, he's never he's not gonna he's not gonna pop off and of course he's uh he's in love. So we understand um why you're on your best behavior at your, your love's parents' house. Okay. So this was this scene was extremely important. I don't think I had it in the original draft, but you know, I was sort of adding this idea of Rose's continued wokeness because um you yeah, know, I think like this scene, for example, is pivotal in our not suspecting her or our uh, shelving our suspicions of her, the fact that she 's more um, turned up a- a about this than he is uh, sort of suggests that she 's not trying to pacify him she 's not trying to calm him there's no you know i think uh, you know if uh, maybe probably in an earlier version of the script she was she was doing some version of like i think it 's going to be okay, sweetie, and he was the one who's getting weird well this switch was um, in in energies was uh, crucial, crucial, crucial for the film because, you know, obviously the the, the audience, I think subconsciously presumes that if she was in on it, she wouldn't be uh, wiling out like this. Um, Chris has to bring her back down to earth. So I I think it's, I think we really win her, she wins our trust um, uh, in this scene as, as well as his. Um, and as Chris is saying now, look, you're seeing you're seeing race for the first time. So, yeah, it's pretty uh, that that's pretty shocking to you. To me, this is the best case scenario. Your um, your family's only slightly uncomfortable, and maybe your brother's a psychopath, but that's okay. Um, and uh, oh, party. these guys had such uh, amazing chemistry. Um, that uh, and, and they're just such good actors. At one point, Allison told me um, she wanted she wanted to practice the the love scene that she was uncomfortable and nervous. So I went all the way out, very nervously. I went all the way out to the house she was staying to literally rehearse this, the love scene with her and Daniel. I was so uncomfortable, and then of course I got there and it was a surprise party for me. Um, and at, at which point I realized, of course, Alison Williams is not fucking nervous to do a fucking love scene um, after what she's done on, on Girls. Um, we, we uh, right there, that was, uh, the, you know, the shot was sort of Chris's perspective. He's still thinking about that deer laying in the middle of the road. Of course, you know, really that's his subconscious telling him, you know, the last time you, you uh, left something in the middle of the road, it was your mother. And, um, uh, the, uh, oh, the lion the stuffed lion is, uh, um, part of the re- reference to this, you know, the, the predator, um, you know, I had some, some of a, uh, motif going on that, um, you know, white people are sort of lions and, and, and black people are tigers, you know, sort of two types of this same, you know, two, two species in the same, Animal kingdom or something, um, but whatever. That's you know that, that that's a little bit of a stretch. But um, the lion also is symbolic of uh, Christ, and of course, the Knights Templar is the uh, is the group here. Um, the Georgina sting right there. You know, this scene originally didn't have it, and we were on literally on the day I had this realization that Georgina needs to creep by, and so we called we called Betty and Betty Gabriel. Um, and at the very last minute, and we so we orchestrated that uh, that sting, and it is it's another one that if 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 I hadn't called that made that audible on the fly, I think the uh, momentum of the movie would just be really struggling right now. But um, okay, so this is you know I think one of my one of my favorite things is uh, is using depth. Um, sort of inspired by things like North by Northwest with the classic plane scene, you know, somebody running at you or towards you just creates a very visceral and physical reaction for the audience. Um, Of course, uh, upon second viewing, you realize the reason he's running is because with his new black body, he's trying to beat Jesse Owens' time. So he's jogging and trying to, he's obsessed. you also see Georgina, Betty Gabriel, of course, um, admiring her re- reflection, um, which is preventing her from seeing Chris outside. Um, and we know she's admiring her reflection. Now we know why she, you know, second viewing, we understand why she uh, wants the black body, is she believes that uh, it's exquisite. Yeah. Come in and sit with me. So this is one of my favorite scenes in the film. It's uh, Partially based off of uh, you know some of the the Silence of the Lambs, uh, Lecter st- Starling scenes, um, where he just shows a certain mastery to be able to get inside of her head, um, and that's what I wanted to happen here. I wanted Chris and the audience to know that this was a trap, that this was a setup, that. The, you know, there's no way you can let your, allow yourself to be hypnotized, and no self-respecting black man would in this situation. Um, but even with that, for, for Missy to be one step ahead of Chris and the audience, and already now when she's clicking the T, she's, uh, you know, they're talking about the uh, pocket watch, but she's already getting him with this, this little T motion down there. That's right. That's right. So there she's getting them, but he doesn't know you smoke. It's also very important for me to um make this not you know a, a, a hypnosis scene where the guy just starts talking I'm a baby now I'm eleven <laughs> you know I wanted him to keep his um composure and to be sort of grounded and you know continually be resistant against the idea of being hypnotized um so even here, where it feels like, no, nah, brother, don't, 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 OK, OK, all right, he's not. He's not going for it. He doesn't want to talk about his mother, but she's got him. Hmm. Watching TV. Do you hear the TV? So this is Chris's worst memory. Um, the thing he doesn't like to think about is when he was uh, paralyzed by fear watching this TV screen and sort of wishing that reality wasn't what it, what it was. His mother hadn't come home and uh, mm-hmm. instead of going out and helping or calling somebody, he was uh, petrified. You know, this, is, this kind of starts getting into the greater themes of the movie, of uh, neglect, of marginalization, Paralyzation from of uh, by fear um, and, and by a system that Chris and um, I think all, all of us are in spef- specifically in regards to the racial conversation. You know another piece of what's happening here is you know Chris is, Chris is part of a system you know as we said earlier, his father was never really around. It's a s- small line, but it's very powerful. Father's not being around is an epidemic in the, in the black community. My father wasn't around. I think Chris's father, whether he was literally in, in prison or, or not, I think the uh, there is a, a relevance with the idea of the disappearance of black men. And Chris, of course, uh, as a child, is facing the, this crippling guilt because he didn't, do what presumably another adult, a father figure, would have been able to do. So just by him being uh, the man of his household at a young age, you know, he was dealing with too much responsibility. How do you feel now? I can't move. You can't move? Why can't I move? Paralyzed. Just like that day when you did nothing. You did nothing. Okay, Missy's sinking her uh, claws in here. And we sort of lowered her voice to really. To the floor. Wait, 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 <laughs> sink. We just emphasized the bass there. And um, here we go. So this is the sunken place. Um, we, we, we put Chris on some wires and uh, VFX'd. The uh, particles and in the, in the screen. This is meant to be a a construct of Chris's mind, um, and it is a representation of his own worst fear. Right, this this place he was, uh, th- this time he was powerless and uh, you know sort of uh, confined to this constraint, and all he could do is watch this TV. But as you will find out, the sunken place is a, um, it's really a tool that Missy uses to sedate her victims and also to uh, prepare them for uh, the brain surgery, which, of course, you have to be awake for uh, brain surgery. So here she comes, and now you're in the sunken place. Which I always hope would become a classic line. <laughs> it's just so, it's so weird and uh, twisted, the sunken place. Part of that idea for me came from, you know, when you're, when you're about to fall asleep, and you feel like you're falling, but you catch yourself, and you wake up. Well, what if you never caught yourself? Where would you fall? Where would you go into? Just to just to blow your minds for one second, um, you know, in my mind, the the sunken place um, is experienced differently for everyone else. Um, it's it is a it is a, a state of mind that is you know created by your own brain um, based on Missy sort of latching onto your deepest fear or your your darkest moment, so that. Uh, Andre the woman who is Georgina or Walter all live in a some s- s- sort of marginalized state where they can see through the eyes of their captor but they can't do anything but everyone would everyone's room and sunken place would look different So Chris is he doesn't really remember what happened last night maybe it was a dream he's out here. Uh, Taking pictures which uh you know in in some ways missy's uh, hypnosis did help him face that fear he's a little bit, he's creatively inspired but he's also now he's he he's on uh, he, he's in detective mode he knows something's wrong he just doesn't know what and uh we see Georgina about to take off her wig but getting caught <laughs> uh, you know it was uh, you know obviously anyone that's a post-coagula operation um, uh, character in this uh, has to have either a wig or a hat to hide their surgical scar. So here's Walter. We sort of uh, invented a little hymn for the Red Alchemist Society that Georgina and Walter both sang at different points in the film. And I just love this performance from Marcus Henderson. It's almost like uh, Walt Disney is in there or something. Um, just so unnatural to see this this big dude. And that's the the voice and mannerisms that come out. I didn't get to meet you actually up close. I'm Chris. I know who you are. You know, Marcus came in, and he just he, he nailed his audition so hard. Um, uh, you know, we we knew we wanted this to just feel unnatural and like the last thing we would expect. And he just delivered. Uh, also, um, top of the line was was an uh, in, in improv he did in the uh, in the audition that I, I remember saying like, remember when you said top of the line? You gotta say that. That's so fucking weird and old and creepy. Yeah. And did it work? What this is it? an interesting scene and sort of a, a tough one because we've seen Chris go through this kind of extreme experience, and now he's you know he's not running. So we're we're sort of grasping over the, these last couple of scenes that yeah he he can't quite separate dream from reality. Um, he's you know Walter's helping him put it together. Um, just one more reason that the family has told uh, grandma and grandpa, you know what, guys, just stay on the outskirts, um, just be the help, trust trust us, you, you're not very good <laughs> at dealing with these uh, vessels, and grandma and grandpa are like, what are you talking about, this is, re- of course we are, we invented this operation, it's it's my house, no, grand- dad, just stay, just chop wood, that's my... Feeling of how that uh, that works. I can barely remember anything, but not a thought of a cigarette makes. Another important but tricky scene, as far as the uh, hiding the character of Ro-Ro. Sorry, I can't believe she did that to you. I, mean, I had some fucked up dreams. What'd you dream? Chris is coming to terms with what happened last night, but um, Ro's reaction is. She's she's kind of pissed at her mom, but she also kind of finds it, thinks it's funny. She just sort of helps imply, you know, maybe maybe what's going on is more in your head from the uh, uh, from your your own personal state of paranoia with all of this. Um, but she does that without saying it. She just kind of just by virtue of her sort of joking this off, and and in this interaction with Walter. You know, she's sort of correct that he's wrong. Chris's, Chris's presumption that Walter is into Rose is wrong. So I think the audience knows that. And the fact that Rose also helps emphasize that, um, helps put her on our side and Chris's side. She's helping him figure this out as opposed to hindering him. Oh, boy. So, here comes the the party guests. This is the you know what I've called the Red Alchemist Society all coming and uh of course, they're all old friends of grandpa and here he is greeting his old friends and here we are okay so these these scenes were some of the hardest scenes I swear when you when you have the more people you have, it just gets exponentially harder um now here we have uh Uh, John Wilmot and Karen Larkey, um, two fantastic actors. I believe they're um, New Orleans based, Um, but uh, I I may be wrong about that. And they just got this thing, you know, this, I wanted this first couple to be kind of cute and the most unassuming, the least offensive and most relatable. And uh, of course, uh, you know uh, John Wilmot's character Gordon Green was a, was a golfer, but now his hip is messed up he he loves Tiger so much he wants a, he's convinced he needs a black body um, with a great stroke awesome. to uh, to reinvigorate his golfing career and his new life are you <laughs> okay this is Ashley the Cont Campbell. Um, who is uh, you know? I, I just instructed her to do a very vampiric performance. I also like you know bringing in some a little bit of an international flair, so we have this sense that whatever this group is, it's 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 big. Um, this actor's name is Rutherford Cravens. Yes, you got that right, Rutherford Cravens, and uh, uh, his wife, played by Julianne Dunn. Um, they are. Uh, and sort of pitch perfect and um, <laughs> have that quality like they'd be perfect in a rural doll movie. Rutherford Cravens is a pretty fantastic actor, but also the best name in the industry. All right, so another little kind of awkward interaction between mom and mother in law. Um, but then over here we see. Uh, the uncomfortable attention, and you know, Chris is sort of escaping into his camera. You know, he's, he's he's using it for investigative purposes, but more more than anything, he's using it as a shield, as a uh, barrier between. Because he's just he's just fed up with all this attention. And uh, of course, the woman in the background checking his butt out. You know, is this the is this is the body I want for my husband, or the body I want for me, for that matter? There's no no gender in. Uh, requirements in the coagula procedure. So this is that moment um, really many, all black people, any minority, (laughs) recognizes when you're, when you feel isolated and you see another brother, it's like, let's go, I got to connect with this brother real quick. Of course, you can't connect with him because uh, uh, Andre is now Logan. I'm Philomena, and uh, and you are- And a lot of people, don't, or I should say some people don't realize that Logan is the same guy from the first scene, just different. I think that's testament to yeah. Keith's range in his acting. Um, and also that, you know, we're not necessarily trained to uh, differentiate uh, black people as a culture and a society. But um, that's just me trying to be woke up in here. Yeah, the wind cuts were this is this element of Chris, Chris's fear that he might be abandoning his black side so to speak and part of that is this fear that hey if you are uh, a husband uh or a partner to this this white woman there is a this dynamic where you know, what the, the gentleman's role is that of a, of, of a, of a provider, of, a, of someone who can offer services, who can hold things for you. And there's a little bit of uncomfortableness and awkwardness in, in Chris's uh, subconscious. And, of course, um, that couple is so bizarre, he's just totally thrown. Here we go. This is Jim Hudson, played by Stephen Root, um, the blind art dealer, which was a character I realized was maybe a little over the top, but uh, ultimately realized it's just over the top enough. All of them. This is the guy that um, is meant to bring us some relief for a moment. First of all, because he's not only colorblind, he's literally blind, but he's also in the art world. He is um, an apparent ally to Chris. He understands that. Um, people focusing on race or color uh, there, there's an ignorance to them. Blind art dealer is not lost How you doing? You know the fact here as as Hudson's about to discuss that uh, you know he he wanted to be a photographer he tried he just didn't he didn't have the eye um, you know this is the character that ultimately ends up pre- Protesting too much, that he doesn't he doesn't see race, he doesn't care what color Chris is, um, he just wants that eye. He's got a more twisted, perverse um, agenda. But uh, even though I don't say it, I, I believe that that Jim Hudson does think that if he is a black photographer, he will get more attention. Um, so even where. Uh, even when the character uh, seems as <laughs> as woke as he possibly can be for uh, a white man trying to steal a black man's body, um, he he still got a, a shade of of uh, straight up old fashioned uh, prejudice. This scene is very much based on scenes from the Stepford Wives, where the husbands are walking around rooms silently and sort of exploring uh, her belongings. Uh, just such a creepy image it's also based on a dream of mine where i was walking through a lobby that was a bustling lobby in a bank and i turned the corner and just the all the noise stopped Uh, and when i turned back everyone that was bustling around was just standing looking at me silently and then i woke up and i put it in this movie all right so this is like you know, phones are, are, are something that need to be deal with in the modern horror universe. Why don't you just call somebody? So I wanted to make this constant threat that someone's unplugging her phone, his phone. Obviously, it's, you know, Georgina unplugged it because, you know, the less batteries he has, uh, the less uh, help he can call for, the less contact he can have. So it's all part of the uh, the great plan. Who? Georgina, I came here to talk to Rose. This is another important scene with Rose. Um, i 'm helping disguise her involvement because instead of pacifying him she 's actually she 's coming at him and she she 's pissed she 's not she 's not trying to make him feel more comfortable but when he assumes that Georgina is pissed because he 's dating a white girl, which of course we know is not the case. Um, she makes fun of him for it. And uh, I think that's another point where she endears herself to the audience because, hey, if uh, she's going to call out his prejudice and um, she's, she's actually helping him get closer to the truth um, because uh, she's, uh, she's right, <laughs> it's not because he's, he's so damn sexy. Which he is. He's a very sexy man, especially when he goes into his uh real accent, which is British. Then he just he, he this dude cleans up. <laughs> I what I got hypnotized last night. Nigga get the fuck out. All of right, me. so Little Rel Howry is amazing. We shot two days with him. I believe I, I I believe with both of these scenes I was the other character on the other side. I don't think they were in the same room. Um, but it it's, it works pretty flawlessly. That's that's one of the uh, advantages to being a sketch performer as a director, is you can sort of do half-assed uh, versions of these characters. Barking like a dog, flying around like you're a fucking pigeon. Looking ridiculous, OK? Or I think flying around like a pigeon was Rell's improv. There's, you know, every actor kind of got to do their own process with me. Um, and every, every actor has very different processes. Okay. But that was after he fucked the head. Rell's process, you know, I very quickly r- realized that, you know, he was very funny reading my lines. But um, if I ever said, like, dude, just do it, like, in your voice. Like, give me, give me, get into the, your your stand-up mode and, and play with it, he would just come up with the, some amazing details. Um, and uh, amazing d- details that are different and different um, takes. Um, you know, that, that that's Jeffrey Dahmer business. It was not, it was not in the script. <laughs> so I thought it was so funny. Okay. I'm going to tell you this. I think that mob is putting hair So the hair important hair. thing here is, here is Rod is he's right, but he's not so right that Chris should be just listening to him. He's talking about sex slaves and shit. Chris knows that's not the case. So at the same time as being a sort of wild conspiracy theorist um, who is making Chris feel like Maybe his paranoia is isn't is uh, is just that it's paranoia. Of course, Rod is saying what we all wish somebody would say, and he's he's getting closest to figuring this out. To wipe down the dresser, and it accidentally came. Betty on. Gabriel. This is, I think, one of the most classic scenes in in film history, horror film history. Myself, and uh, I'm I'm a I'm a tough critic. Um, the, her performance here sums up the entire. Uh, movie, I mean, really. Um, and this, I knew this was uh, such a pivotal scene, because it has to be yeah. even creepier. It has to be more than we've seen so far. Um, and of course, Toby Oliver, the amazing uh, cinematographer, uh, here picked the perfect lens for right up, uh, up close. You know, all, basically all I told Toby is like, "Look, uh, this this scene has to feel more menacing, more creepy, more in your face." And uh, Toby picked the, the perfect lens, um, um, as he always does. So this is the the moment where uh, Georgina inside she starts to fight her way out of the sunken place. Um, and, but uh, grandma um, oh. was, puts her in check oh. and uh, kicks her back into uh, submission. And that was, mm-hmm. you know, I told Betty, as I was like, say no, as many times as you want. Might like, literally, it's just the more times <laughs> you do it, the crazier. And so she gave me 10. Not at all. The Armitages are so Good to us. They treat us like family. Total Stepford Wives moment. It's like what the what the hell? She's she's so into her role as being servant. She's she is she has no um, her soul. What, what happened to her soul? What happened to her quote unquote blackness? <laughs> her she's she's docile. She's obedient, and she's also aggressive in this weird way hey hang on Chris Chris I want to introduce you uh, to- this was a very tough scene to shoot because um, was we just ha- didn't have very much time um, these uh, you know extras are really were just oh there goes Georgina in the back and if you listen closely you can hear her singing the the hymn I was talking about Disadvantage in the modern world. <laughs> okay, so this is uh, Yasuhiko Oyama, who is um, actually a friend's father of mine. It was, it was. I found it very difficult to find a, a Japanese actor in Alabama, and um, Mr. Oyama is not only a, a fantastic actor here, but he is a he's a karate master, and he is also uh, Ken Marino's uh, father-in-law. Um, little tri- piece of trivia. For the most part, very good. All right, so here is uh, Logan, and uh, Chris sort of p- puts the question to Logan to sort of get out of it and maybe put this guy on the spot. Um, and uh, you know, Chris's idea here is, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna take a picture. I'm gonna send it to Rod so Rod can see what this guy is wearing. And as you see in in Logan's eyes, the sort of the light from the um, his portal into the, his own personal sunken place sort of fades, and some sort of synapse—whatever happens when a strobe effect creates a seizure—I I figured that there was a similar sort of synapse happening here that uh, affected the uh, the operation. But uh, you know, as soon as Andre gets out of the sunken place, he he yells at Chris what he's been yelling from the sunken place: "Brother, get out! Get out the house!" Come on, man! Nah, st- 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 dumb. come on, man! So, um, you know, basically, the you know, the sunken place, amongst other things, it, it, it is a metaphor for the marginalization of the black horror movie audience. We are a loyal horror movie fan base, and we're relegated to the theater, not on the screen. Um, we don't have representation of our skin in horror films, nor do we have the representation of our sensibilities and our um, ability to observe trouble before it happens, and our ability to excuse ourselves. It also, of course, you know, conjures the Eddie Murphy routine where he's talking about the Amityville horror and that a black family would uh, would deal in that situation differently. Get out. Too bad we can't stay, baby. Uh, one of the great uh, comedy bits. The rest of the night without the aid of my mind. But uh, yeah, this, this movie for me was a, answer to the lack of representation. And uh, I think as a, as a culture, as a country, uh, I feel like our lack of ability to talk about race, specifically um, the, the uh, prison industrial system um, and complex, and the disproportionate amount of black people, mostly men who are literally abducted, thrown into a hole and tossed to the back of our minds. These people are tossing black men to the back of their minds, literally and figuratively. And um, the sunken place is a, a metaphor for that—that that particular marginalization. And that's what he said it was. That I'm inclined to trust. That wasn't the seizure. What was it then? How long have you known that guy? I met him today. Why? <laughs> I mean, this is gonna sound weird, but. When he came. Now is at this point where it's like, leave, brother, leave. Don't be an idiot, leave. So I had to make him. Yeah, he's trying to leave now. He, he's trying to leave, and um, I think that's that is a relief to us. At least this stupid dude isn't. He's not trying to stay around. He's trying to figure out. He's not a dumbass. He knows that wasn't a seizure. Um, he's trying to break it to this woman that he loves. Why he has to leave her house. Which got in my head. you know may be the uh, uh, you know may may end the relationship, um, and, and Chris is is in love. He is, he, uh, and especially especially out here where she is his only security blanket. Um, I think he uh, he he connects to her at, at his sort of all time high, but. He can't describe to her what's happening to, uh, and what where his um, suspicions are coming from, um, which, of course, is is a in itself a metaphor for, um, you know, uh, you know what I think a, a feeling a lot of African Americans will have is that we're um, perceiving something and being told uh, that we're not actually perceiving it correctly. Um, all right, so here's, of course, the big reveal. This bingo scene is actually an auction. You know, I wanted to keep the sort of particulars of how this auction works pretty uh, mysterious. Like, what are these? What are the numbers? Are they millions of dollars, billions of dollars? Um, in my particular lore, uh, which is the one we should go with? I think um, you know the Knights Templar, uh, who this group is descended from, were collectors of antiquities and treasures. Um, so I have this I have it in my mind that they they trade amongst each other um, these relics and artifacts, and that the numbers that he's holding up are um, the amount of relics somehow. So. You know, Chris realizes he's just told uh, the woman he loves that he is going to leave without her, and based on her reaction, I think he channels his um, his 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 internal uh, demon. Um, he realizes that once again in his life, he is risking uh, the abandonment of. With his family. Um, and so basically, I wanted to, I knew I had to keep Chris in this situation. I couldn't let him just run yet, so I didn't want this to turn into a chase movie. Um, so I dug into the core of what makes him him. Um, and one of the, the darkest building blocks of his psychology is this traumatic moment where he left his family. And he has been hiding this truth from Rose—that uh, he actually could have saved his mother. Um, you know, when we shot this, um, Daniel was having a hard time getting there originally, and he was like, "Hey, Jordan, 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 I, I need, I need, I need help. It's a block. There's a block. There's a block." And we discussed it, and at some point, I said, um, "You know, Daniel, the reason you haven't told her this." is because you don't want the woman you love to know that you are the type of person who abandons your family. And he goes, yup, yup, got it, got it, got it, got it. He went and he knocked this out of the ballpark. Um, This scene was so, so emotional for me. I mean, I was looking at it not like Ro Ro existed. I was looking at it like Rose and Chris. And I remember just being on set, and after we shot this, just kind of just crying, really, because first of all, we were chasing the the sun, which means we were running out of daylight. Um, and it's such an important scene, because if we don't understand why Chris is staying in this situation, the whole thing topples apart. It's like we hate him. It's like, nah, nigga, no, no, no. Hey, fuck, I'll be out. Let me, let me, <laughs> I wanted to uh, satisfy uh, that dude who, uh, at the very least, could understand, you know. But I see. Oh, I wish he wasn't in love. I wish he didn't understand. He's got, he's got his mother. He's seeing his mother. All right. So here we got Jeremy with his little uh, deliverance uh, ukulele. Um, uh, this uh, this scene, a very interesting little piece where it's in the in between world. Um, Chris is still suspicious, but he's kind of pacified. The audience, though, we know. Oh my God, he's in for it, and um, it's a very tricky moment. Uh, this whole upcoming sequence is storytelling-wise because you don't want the the audience to be so frustrated that we're so far ahead of this character who doesn't can't see what's going on. So very quickly, I'm going to have him catch up, and not only catch up, but get a step ahead of the audience so we can trust our protagonist again. So he's sending the picture to Rod here, um, just as uh, like, you know, look at this brother, man. Look how he's dressed kind of thing. And uh, Rod uh, gets back at him pretty comedically quick. Oh, that's Drake. Once again, Rod's drinking, that's his vice. Used to kick him with Veronica's Veronica from what? Teresa's sister that worked at the movie theater. You know, only. here I'm I'm uh playing off of the uh the cliche that all black people know each other. I really wanted in, you know, a lot of ways the stereotypes and cliches about what it means to be white and it means to be black to aid this film. Party with a white so along with the uh <laughs> Oh shit Chris, you gotta get the fuck <laughs> He still thinks it's, it's sex safe, so he's not completely right. Um, you gonna be a, hello? Chris, oh, oh shit, his battery must be fucking. Anyway, I wanted, I wanted uh, you know, along with the perception um, that black people have about the social dynamic of where race is concerned, you know, I wanted, um, I wanted uh, different sort of stereotypically black qualities to help Chris uh, figure this out and also set him back from time to time. Now um, we're going to see that little sixth sense, that little Spidey, that black Spidey sense kind of come in. And Chris is, hes is, this door has been nagging on him. He knows there's more to this story than he knows, and he's got to figure out. That becomes a number one priority uh, for him. Um, and I—I I, in my, my uh, mythology of this, Rose is so sick and twisted that she always leaves the door a little bit open just in case they want to find. that. that, that that's a part of the thrill of the hunt is leaving a tantalizing opening for um, Chris to uh, find these pictures. Um, that's just part of her character. Her sort of flaw is that she's sort of like a cat and mouse. Okay, so. Here we see that not only Rose has dated black guys before, um, and here's proof. And uh, maybe she's just lied to him, but I think we all know that it's it's more than that. Um, And and uh, now we see she's got a full on fetish. But oh my God, it's Walter. So. I think here you know, the the audience is meant to know that this was a trap, but maybe doubt in the back of their minds that, okay, or is it somehow she's just had relationships with all these people? Or is she, maybe she's evil, but she's hypnotized by the mother or something. Either way, Chris is gonna have to do the smartest thing he can. Um, I think a lot of people's instinct is just, run, motherfucker, run! I wanted Chris to make the smart move, Try and just calmly get the keys. He's gonna go when he gets outside. He's gonna get in the car. He's gonna f- hightail it, mm-hmm. but he just needs those keys. So if he gets the keys, it's all good. We're out. Um, he's gonna. He, he's not. He's not showing that he knows anything. So there's no reason that they would uh, doubt that he would come back. Well, you can't find those keys. Well, you can't find those keys. Know. That was a line that I added on the day. That is one of my favorite lines. <laughs> um, just because you know Chris is like. J- Chris's like inner like man comes out that oh you oh you can't find those keys? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I see you. I see you. Just I just bags in the car, man. Would anyone like tea? Here we go. So this was like a, the trickiest scene to um to wrap my head around to get everyone to wrap their head around. It was it was um uh a, a instinct I had that the audience would be with us on the edge of our seats throughout all of this. Even though on paper, there's, um, the, the the tension is sort of dissipated by the fact we, we know Rose is evil. So the sleight of hand I had to pull here was keep us just in enough doubt that maybe she's hypnotized. Maybe we're in a misunderstanding. Um, so that the, the second reveal The final reveal that Rose isn't, it's not even that she's just uh, luring him in, but she is a completely different person than we've ever met. Um, We'll hit home. Um, so now Dean's going into some of the mythology of the uh, Red Alchemist Society. Um, they believe that they are uh, destined for immortality and deity status. And uh, th- over hundreds of years, they have worked to figure out through science a way to achieve the power of the Holy Grail. Rose! Rose, give me no teeth! This uh, performance from Daniel is one of my favorites. Um, and uh, we really pushed. We really pushed, and you know, I remember um, having to really work him into that state. And then finally, when he did it, it was the last take, and it was like it was exactly what what the the this movie needs. Is like you know what? He's been holding it in for the whole movie. Where are those keys, Rose. It's time to let it out. You know, I can't give you the keys, right, babe? And that's just like. <laughs> I love it. I just love that. I love the the way this scene unfolds. I, I love that he he, kn- he knows it, and she's right. He does know it. He just wanted, he had one little, like, girl, if you tell me it's all a mistake and I'm so sorry and let's go and let's run. If you, like, I, that, I know you won't, but if you do, um, we'll go. But um, the all hope is lost. Oh, shit. Is he her? <laughs> Roro immediately starts putting her annoying um, hair into the more perfect and pristine ponytail. Um, we, we meet her character, I'm transfixed with her character right now because we've never met this person. She's completely cold, chill, blasé. Um, she is precise and uh, obviously a- an absolute psychopath. But we don't know anything about her. Because of that, this quality, I think this Ro Ro character is probably my favorite character in the movie. It's like this is some crazy, sick, bitch, villain shit. I don't even know. You hear that, Chris? Huh? One of my so we, for to make this scene, we we actually had this rig that was kind of like a stretcher. We put a camera on, um, oh, and that's that. Wide shot that shows us how fucking expansive the sunken place is. Um, all right, so this is the part of the movie where the uh, you know it's couldn't get any worse, and uh, much like uh Hollerin in The Shining or uh The Sheriff in Misery, um, you know, I wanted to have the the character on the outside offer us some hope, and we love Rod so, um. I felt like in, in in the darkest moment of the movie, um, we can sort of begin a new chapter, begin a new momentum, and um, I think it's exactly what the audience needs. Yeah. So yeah, Chris hasn't come back, and uh, Rod realizes it's it's. It, th- this could be serious, you know. I think when he was originally talking to Chris about leave, motherfucker, I think he still didn't completely believe that this was a sex slave situation. Like in reality, even if shit's getting weird, you're you're not quite all there. But now that Chris hasn't come back, he um, he 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 really is suspecting it. And now, and further looking up, um, Andre finding out that. Of course, uh, Andre has been missing. Um, just goes to validate everything. And it all kind of comes cl- crystal clear um, in this moment. Oh, shit. All right, so this was this this crazy room we found in Mobile, Alabama that had these amazing lights. And it just had this uncanny quality. Um, I always talked about this room as being like some kind of evil feng shui that Missy had come up with. Like it was meant to fit in with uh, the sort of stereotypical wreck white rec room vibe, but just to have this real David Lynchian um, offness going on. We set up the bocce ball, the perfect weapon for later. The room is actually the, designed to keep him mentally confined. And uh, here, the uh, the buck is, of course, uh, you know, not only a word um, used uh, when describing uh, strong black men um, in the past, but, uh, it is a, sim- a symbol. You know, it's the male version of the the doe that he hits. So, um, I also uh, imagine that the the deer is a uh, a symbol used by the Red Alchemist Society. Is there anything more beautiful than a sunrise? Hi, I'm Roman Armitage. And if you're watching this, you probably working. You know, originally, this scene was just, um, he, he he was being forced to listen to uh, You've Got a Friend by James Taylor um, over and over again. Um, and uh, when I realized I couldn't afford that song, I invented this um, thing, which I think is works, <laughs> works better. <laughs> Especially s- t- saying it out loud, it definitely works better. Um, Richard Hurd is the actor here, and he just had this wonderfully, uh, both, both totally pleasant quality, but also you can imagine he's capable of really devilish things. Um, he's, uh, and Grandpa loves his garden. That's why he's always out there gardening. He's, he, loves, he loves being outside. He loves uh, working with the greenery. And uh, here we see the, you know, where the picture from earlier came from and uh, the entire family together. Um, full disclosure, I did not realize that uh, the actor playing young Jeremy was that much shorter than the actor playing uh, Rose until we got them on set. and. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's just first movie you can't really fire a little kid upon, for for not being tall enough. It's just not it's just not done. <laughs> okay, the behold the coagula, you know, just I love this idea. This is also kind of like ripped from uh JJ Abrams the you know, the uh videos in lost, the the Dharma initiative where you just get this sense of like, oh my god, there's this produced thing. It just goes it goes so deep. We're just at the tip of the iceberg. Um and so I wanted to kind of um, play with that idea, put my own spin on it. Uh, Williams, Right Williams. OK, Erica Alexander, who just came in and just killed this with this audi- with her audition, um, she brought this character from you know what, on paper, felt a little bit like a sort of stereotypical black woman, police officer character. And she just brought a reality in, uh, to this character and a depth that I felt like was so um, so, needed um, uh, for my, you know, to, to talk about uh, enhancing the script. His name is uh, Chris, Chris Washington. He left on Friday with his girlfriend, uh, Rose Armitage. This scene is meant to give us a break and give us a safe space and a relief. It's. Um, but you know, I didn't want to really tell any jokes. I just wanted to let the the scene be what it would be in real life, which is kind of this this dead end. Um, now, um, you know, I realized it was would sort of get laughs, but um, you know, there's several moments in this where I really um, let Rel just go off and and improvise, and he just del- delivered so hard. That's because we found him, right? But Chris says he's acting real different. Different how? This dude is from Brooklyn, huh? He didn't dress like this. I also wanted this, you know, I I wanted to, you know, make sure that, you know, we had a little bit of the safety. You know, I didn't want to make these cops white cops either, um, just to sort of, like, create this mythology that all cops are white, you know. Um, I wanted this to feel like, okay, this is kind of racially and um, logistically a safe spot. We got a black female cop. This is great. Um, but, you know, where, uh, where some people in the audience might say, oh, okay, they're gonna, I see they're gonna, they're gonna start figuring this out together. Of course, um, no, that's not the way it works when you walk into, um, cops, uh, the, the detective's office is talking about, um, sex slave, uh, cults and secret societies, um, with no actual evidence. That's a totally different story. So look, I go do my, 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 my detective work, right? You know, right here we have, um, you know, on the left, we've got uh, Ian Castleberry. And on the right, we've got Geronimo Spinks, two of the best names in, in Hollywood as well. You, maybe, you might recognize Ian from uh, the first scene in Keanu, where he plays the drug lord. They already got two brothers we know. And it could be a whole bunch of brothers they got already. What's the next move? <laughs> I mean, Rel is just is so funny to direct. Also, the other thing about Rel is like he, every time he does it, he gets better. Um, so if you ever if you if you don't have what you need, you can just be like, all right, give me another one, and you know it's going to be closer or far out, outshine your expectations. Um, he's such a fun actor to work with. And now this scene, this was the second day, the last thing we shot with Rel. And as this scene goes on, you'll see he gets sweatier. My dude got sick, like, okay. in the middle of the day. And by the end of the scene, he was, he was, like, had a fever. <laughs> like, he had to go home, and he had been touring for a while. So he was in he was in a bad spot. But it actually works with the performance. Chris, okay. Yo, um. This is one of my favorite scenes, um, just because, you know, my two favorite characters are hitting in, in full force, just grand slam performances. Um, just to give you an idea of how amazing Allison Williams is, I mean she. This, this I came to her in the beginning a couple of days or before we shot the scene, and I said, "Look." I'm gonna ask you to do, do something that I don't, I don't f- know or think if it's necessarily possible. And she was like, "Yes." Like that's like that's her shit. If you tell her something like that, and I was like, "Can you give me like Rose' face and expression, but Rose's voice, like with all the inflection and in character?" And she's like, "I'll see what I can do." And then she came back and just, just absolutely clipped this scene off, like, five times in a row, like, just a master. I mean, if there's any doubt uh, about anything that, you know, she can do, I mean, this is proof. Like, I think you would normally need somebody to, um, you know, you would normally need her to come in and record the voice separately to kind of pull this off. Ooh, that TSA shit tingles. That's one of my favorite parts yes uh a lot of this movie was created to uh, uh, get favors from the TSA moving through the airport um that was the point speaker so this is where you can see he's like starting to get sick he's like uh. so yeah I wanted you know Rod is good like he he does have TSA skills and um but he's totally out. Planned out, crazy. Like she is, she's a professional at this. She's been, she's been doing this her whole life, and uh, she knows he's recording it. She knows, she knows he's recording it, and that uh, There's something between us. she starts digging into their little flirtatious um, past, which makes Rod completely uncomfortable. Um, he doesn't, even, he doesn't want that recorded, and uh, he's just totally, uh, you know, threatened by it. And of course, this is sort of a a veiled threat like on on the recording it sounds like one thing but basically what she's saying to him is you're next motherfucker if you um keep going so um rod uh gets defeated and uh, we are back uh in the uh belly of the beast here And uh, Allison basically, she would prepare for this side of the character for like forty-five minutes before we would shoot. And if you got near her when she was in row, row mode, you would be creeped out. Like she's not, she's not warm. Like I think her own dog was like, Aah. you know. Chris once again wakes up from the sunken place. Every time he goes there, it's uh, he's he's in his the the space uh, embodiment of his worst fear. Um, space embodiment, the mental state. You can answer, there's an intercom in the room. Okay, so now Jim Hudson, uh, comes back. The guy, the art dealer, all right. Um, we, we know we're gonna get answers in this scene. And, uh, I really wanted this scene to play like, um, the scene in the first, uh, at at the end of the first act of The Matrix, when Morpheus just simply tells you what The Matrix is. I thought it was such a, uh, a great device um, because, first of all, I think at this point in this movie, we want answers. And I just love the idea of telling the audience the answer in, in some ways. Uh, I think it's uh, so so direct and unexpected that it would come like that. And like in The Matrix, when the answer is satisfying, you feel like you've been just given a gift of information. Yeah. For phase three, the transplantation. Okay, so now we and Chris start to realize what's really going on here. This is mad science. This is brain transplantation. This uh, this movie is sort of meant to be my um, take on Frankenstein, and and you kind of realize that now that um, you know in many ways the African American experience is. Uh, the, is this this country's Frankenstein monster? I mean, be able to see and hear what your body is doing, but your existence will be as a passenger. So, you know, there was a, there was one point where the idea was they were just going to do a f- brain transplantation and then you would just you would die. But um, I realized we could tie in this sunken place uh, sedation device and say that you are in there. And that, of course, was the big revelation for me writing um, that brought everything together, is that your your will is taken and your body is used. Um, this is a modern um, form of slavery. Well, I guess. Why black people? And now the question everybody wants to know, why? Why would you, uh, is it because you hate us? Is it because you're KKK? No. There's a variety of different reasons. Everyone has their own different thing. It's not one. But the, the commonality is that you're being valued for your skin and your culture and what you bring that enhances our lives. But you're not being valued as a soul that is equal, God, as, a, as a human being. Um, and, uh, yeah, I don't think I'll ever write anything as cool as that <laughs> for the rest of my life. That's, that's about as good as it gets. So good night, folks, and thanks for watching. <laughs> All right, no, here we go. Let's get let's get back into it. I, no, I, just, I went on a little spiral uh, tangent, realizing that uh, it's gonna be hard to beat this one. Um, so uh, give me some give me some sh- give me give me uh, a little rope guys to make a worse movie, please. Here we go. Chris sees the cotton that uh, we've been planting that he has this nervous tick with his when, when he's facing his fears um, that he scratches Now for the second time viewer, you already know that the cotton's already in his ears. he's pretending to fall asleep. Um, and uh, for those who, of you who are hip to it, you're right. I, I, I was intending the, the irony of picking the, the, the picking of cotton being what ends up saving this uh, African-American from slavery. All right, so this is my sort of Cronenberg's operating room. It's described it as like a dark ceremonial operating room. I wanted this to thing to feel like we, we can sort of feel the history of the cult. And, uh, oh, if you want me to really ruin the movie for you, that prop is pretty much, I, I think it's like, was like a poker chip box that we converted. So there you go. Uh, i sorry, you can't unhear that. Once again, just like Michael Abel's with the score is just, you know, I I wanted this to feel like a ritual. Like this is something they've been trying to do for hundreds of years, and finally they've figured it out. And there's this uh, sort of religion um, aspect. We, my production designer, Rusty Smith, made this incredible um, hallway that, you know, I, I just wanted all the, the pictures and imagery, that, the implications of the depth of, uh, and history of the secret society. Um, but I knew I would only give the audience little glimpses just so you know how deep it goes. And trust me, I've, I've, I know the entire history of this secret society. It goes deep, but you only get little pieces. I'll, the, the, on, a, on another DVD, I'll take you through the, uh, the history of the Red Alchemist Society. All right, so this is uh, obviously turning point in the movie. It was, you know, I I debated whether or not I should just sneak up on the audience with this, but I wanted to give you that little grab of the bocce ball just so we can be with Chris and have that same sense of anticipation. Um, Okay, and uh, the actor Caleb Landry Jones um, laid there as we sort of pumped blood um, for this this uh, upcoming overhead shot of him, we pumped blood for about two and a half minutes straight. He laid there; he didn't blink once. He's a psychopath, and I love him for it. Um, that shot. Um, so now Chris looks at this his sort of spirit animal, right? the the stag, the stag, the buck. He is um, he is becoming the man that he always should have been. He's becoming the 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 lost. Father figure for himself in this moment, and then of course the the father figure of the Armitages um, realizes something's wrong. And so I wanted to use the footsteps here because there's something there's something effective to me about giving the audience a little bit of notice right before you hit them with something. Um, it's almost like they get distracted and. Um, it sort of helps the effect of the uh, the jump scare or the the, the surprise. Um, and I think it did there. A lot of the deer is uh, uh, the, the antlers uh, at least are VFX. It's we had a, we had an antlerless deer um, that we used. OK, now you hear grandma's um, little hymn, the <laughs> the red alchemy hymn. Um, and she is in her kitchen, as we sort of planted earlier in the movie. Grandma loves her kitchen, so we keep a piece of her in here. Um, now she's just knitting, but uh, you know she wasn't really doing uh, housekeeping um, services as a servant. She was doing it as in she was keeping her own house. Okay, so the little, the standoff, Missy who has the power of the mind and hypnosis is sort of reduced to a physical um, altercation that uh, she, she won't win. Um, I knew this was, this, this for me was a particularly edgy scene. You have a black man, young black man killing an older white woman, um, a beautiful woman. Um, and uh, so I knew it had to be justified. She had to. She had to. She had to attack him here. It has to be in self-defense. This is about escaping, not about vengeance or um, anger. So he's he's in another zone. Um, you know, I think I wanted the audience to sort of connect with this fact that almost his his inner his inner king is coming out. His inner. His inner really his inner blackness is coming out his survival instincts and ability um, you know uh, I, I think that that you know that's sort of a satisfying notion um, to me that if I was ever in a real a real physical pinch I would have some kind of instinctive advantage <laughs> um, however ridiculous that may actually be. Um, All right, so, of course, Jeremy is putting him in a virtual noose and saying, uh, one Mississippi, two Mississippi. Um, But he is, uh, Chris um, has set the trap. Um, this, This altercation is happening actually in the exact same place Jeremy tried to put Chris in a headlock the first time. That's the dining room right there. And when Jeremy's talking about three moves ahead, well, Chris just did three moves ahead. Um, he noticed that Jeremy was kicking the door shut. So he set him up to, to stab him, because he couldn't stab him uh, from, the, from his position. All right, so here's my favorite scene in the movie. Um, yeah, she's, um, she's, she is re- in her complete regression. We're getting a, 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 a sense of a little another little peek into the, this crazy character that we've been watching this whole movie, and yet we still haven't met. And she is crazy. She is, she's eating her comfort food from when she was a kid, the white milk, the colored uh, cereal, eating them separately, black straw. Um, You know, everything's now in order. You know, I think the Rose character was kind of a messy, she couldn't find anything in her keys. This character knows where everything is at all times. And of course, uh, if you notice, she has the pictures of her conquests uh, framed on the the wall behind her, like a, um, a collector. All right, Chris is out. You see the you saw the uh, helmet from the Knights Templar that Jeremy had, and now we're in "Run Rabbit Run" mode. And boom! I wanted to I wanted to just get this feeling like anything could happen in this scene. It's total chaos. It's total. Um, it, 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 it's It's completely sloppy, uh, spontaneous, anything can happen action. And uh, my stunt coordinator Mark Vanislo, um, who did you know does a lot of stunts for Liam Neeson in the taken movies, he's amazing and he really got into this whole idea of this brutal primal survival horror um, as I, I wanted to make sure we did not go with you know action. Um, action-style horror, which f- feels, like, kind of unrealistic. Here she is chasing him off the lawn with the uh, rifle and the grandma reveal. So this this moment was basically I was trying to do, like, when Spielberg does, um, well, unless the Velociraptors know how to open doors, he gives the audience that piece of information, and then he lets us experience the, the doorknob opening, and the audience, I just remember seeing Jurassic Park, the audience going like, oh. And so I wanted to uh, let the audience sort of um, watch Grandma um, emerge from next to him. And I love, I love Betty Gabriel's performance there. Chris is getting bloodier and bloodier. Now he's he's kind of in this weird zone trance where he's in survival mode but he's in total shock. Um, and remember he's been, you know, for a couple of days he's been in the something place. So he's in a crazy mental space. Um just <laughs> couldn't be sca- couldn't be more har- helpless feeling having a having a limp and then here comes grandpa. Who's got that Jesse Owens speed now? Um, And uh, yeah, so here um, now we're 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 dealing with Roman Armitage. Um, We see his scar um, for the first time, and um, along you know I, I wanted Chris to defeat not with you know this final threat, not with his strength, but with his you know he's a photographer and his smarts and his wit. And uh, he knows he has this weapon in his pocket. Um, you know, the audience here knows what's coming, and they're just they're frothing at the mouth for it. <laughs> uh, it's uh, in an audience; it's a pa- really palpable feeling, satisfying. Um, right there, we did a, a squib with some VFX uh, enhancement. Um, a lot of the blood from the the nose is is done with uh, VFX as well. Um here I wanted to give a little misdirect, like, oh my God, he, is he gonna shoot Chris? Nope, he took care of himself. the um, you know, whether or not he's he's out of the sunken place he's he's a, a, a atrocity. He's got most of Grandpa's brain in there, a little bit of his original brain um, which is. Uh, Actually, oh, and there's Rose. So yeah, the the the, tr- the partial brain transplantation, by the way, is theoretically possible. It was achieved on mice in 1982. Uh, New York Times article. Look it up. Uh, all right. So now, um, you know, this is like my kind of like Othello moment. Um, I wanted the 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 romance of it to play, and obviously, I realized that this was also. You know, the type, of, the type of thing that 10 years ago would have uh, gotten this movie an NC-17 rating. Um, a black man choking a white woman and the audience loving it. Um, so this is where, you know, he doesn't need to do this. He's, he's succumbing to the, the rage, the revenge, and the monster. And I wanted to make this clear line with this character that first of all, Rose simply out him right there. But her smile is sort of reflecting this perverted sense that she'll win if he loses his humanity. And Chris realizes he doesn't need to sacrifice his own self. Uh, and in fact, he can, um, oh, OK, so this, um, moment is you know I think the most powerful moment in the movie because you know, obviously the audience is meant to think they know what's happening Any um, anytime you can kind of do that you let the audience do all the work of the social uh, implication that uh, you know whereas in most horror movies the cops showing up at the end is a good thing in this movie it means something different and I wanted the audience to have to face that. Before the end of this movie, um, but we wanted to um, we wanted to give them a hero, and um, I, uh, I, I'm you know Rod Rod coming back, you know again the the, the technique of showing the airport to give the audience just enough um, space to figure it out before I actually reveal Rod. Um, I, I think that that worked effective effectively. And, I mean, I told you not to go in there. <laughs> really, we, we, uh, this, we, you know, we, you know, I had, like, I had about 20 different options of lines for him. This, and we shot them all. And this was the one that felt like, you know, once again, Rod is saying what we all wish he would say, or we, we've all been saying, which is, get out of the house, Chris. Yes. Motherfucking, Motherfucking A. Me. We he handle shit. shit. What we do now? This consider this situation fucking handled. I think that I think that part was that was improvised, and I love that so much. Consider this situation fucking handled. <laughs> um, yeah. So Chris wins not only because he keeps his own soul, but um, he gets the full karma karmic justice of Rose. Dying alone on the in the street, just like his mother did. Um, he is uh, probably changed, but he's he's he survives. And oh, and Michael Abel's uh, score, the Sikilisa, that is um, that's actually Swahili. Um, it's. Uh, it means uh, trust your ancestors, uh, run away. Just w- sort of warnings um, to 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 Chris. So we. W- I wanted to bring this back uh, again. Um, yeah. I'm. Look. There's. Uh, I'm. I'm so happy with this movie. It's. Uh, it was. Directing it was the 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 dream of my life. It really was. Um, and uh, it was the hardest thing I ever had to do, um, I've ever gotten to do. Um, and I would, uh, I cried a lot um, when I went home just because of the, the pressure is so intense and people are counting on you. And you know, with a movie like this, it's, if, you, if I got it wrong, you know, it's like, they, it could fuck with people's careers. You know, it's like, you know, you have, you have Whitford and, and Keener signing on to play villains in a race movie. And um, if you don't take care of them and make sure that their characters are just so diabolically quirky enough that you got to love them, then um, it it, it does them a total disservice. So there's a lot of pressure. But every morning, I got up and was like, took a deep breath and um, just pretended I was a, a captain of a pirate ship, where I was like on an adventure, had to be strong, had to be sure, had to know where we're going. Um, and I was surrounded by just the most amazing, um, crew, um, the most amazing talent, a, a lot of real geniuses that, um, trusted, uh, trusted the vision and, uh, uh, trusted that it would pay off. And so that is, uh, that, that, that's the most humbling thing about making a movie. Let's see what else to say. You know, there's a lot, there's a lot. I, I could probably do this whole thing again and talk about completely different things. There's there there really is so much um that that went into it. And uh but uh that's for the, you know, that's that's for you guys to um talk about and theorize about. <laughs> and I'm totally I'm going the, the full director um, blabbermouth route. Um, in the beginning, I was thinking, like, hey, should I do, like, should I try and leave it, like, Kubrick? So, like, for years to come, people are trying to piece together the mysteries of fucking Get Out. Or should I just totally nerd out and give, uh, tell you guys every detail I could possibly fit in, um, which is exactly what I would want in in a director's commentary. So I did the nerd route. Uh, (laughs) um uh yeah thank you uh for listening thank you if you took all the the time to listen to this you're you're a true fan and i'd love to hear um what get out theories uh you think i may have uh missed um thanks guys all right